I will mention, though, as we kind of jump in today, that as exciting as Christmas is, for many people, Christmas isn't all joy and happiness. It can even be a season of disappointment. Um, I was reading about something they call the Christmas Day Letdown. And I'd never heard it phrased like this, but there's a, a letdown where a lot of people feel uh, kind of feelings of disappointment on Christmas because things didn't turn out the way you had planned. Maybe you've got some big expectations about Christmas. Uh, and I read this and I, I thought I'd share it with you. Does your mental picture of the holiday include your children behaving well and loving and appreciating each gift you carefully selected for them? Does your vision feature your family in a picture-perfect gathering around a festive meal worthy of a Norman Rockwell painting? Do you place great value on receiving a meaningful gift that your significant others spent hours researching and selecting? In reality, our families and partners don't always live up to our imagined expectations, and in practice, holiday celebrations aren't always the, ideal, the idealized gatherings that we built them up to be. Can y'all relate to that? That sometimes things don't turn out the way we have imagined or planned or even hoped for. And when I read that, I could not help but think about Clark Griswold. All right? Um, I, I mean, just when I think about things not turning out the way we hope, I mean, Clark just wanted a perfect Christmas. There's nothing wrong with that, right? He wanted the perfect tree. And it just so happened it was a little big, right? He wanted, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I think y'all, most of y'all do, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, Christmas Vacation movie. Not that I endorse it, not that you should be watching it, not that everything in it is appropriate, but um, I know you've seen it. So um, <laughs> he wanted the perfect gifts, and we see how that worked out with the cat and the, the jello mold. We, he wanted the perfect Christmas lights, we see how that turned out. Uh, I mean, you could just keep going. Things didn't go according to plan. He wanted the perfect time with his family, and then his in-laws showed up, and then, of course, Cousin Eddie rolls up. And that, I've got to admit, I thought the best part of the Galax Christmas parade was Cousin Eddie. Okay? If y'all were here and saw it, that was, that was, that was the deal breaker for me. That was good. Um, and then, you know, not only that, he had planned on getting the perfect gift, his Christmas bonus from work. And so what was he going to do? He was going to build a pool for his family, right? And so he'd already put the deposit down. He was going to do this special for his family. Um, and then instead of his normal Christmas bonus, what did he receive? He received the, the Jelly of the Month Club, the gift that keeps on giving, Clark. And it was... You know, you think about that, and Jennifer and I joke around with each other. You know, we're always like, well, what'd you get? I'm like, it's the Jelly of the Month Club. It's the gift that keeps on giving. You know, it's just, that's kind of what we joke around with whenever we get something that we kind of or make fun of a little bit. And so, you know, but in all honesty, I mean, that's, and then that's when he just lost it after that point. And, and the thing is, we all have expectations. Um we all think sometimes we have our heart set on something. You see this with little kids too, right? They get their heart set on something, and then when they don't get it, instead of Christmas being a day of excitement and joy, it's like, I didn't get what I wanted, and the pouting and the fit throwing. And, 
And as much as I'd like to say that stops with children, I think we do it, but in different ways as adults. Because we all have this natural bent towards selfishness. We all have this natural bent towards as adults. Like we have, and then sometimes maybe it's just like, I, you plan this perfect meal. You plan everything to, that's going to work out perfectly. And then things don't go according to plan. And, and I'll tell you, I had to deal with this this morning because I got up and was getting all my stuff ready to come to church. And I closed my computer lid and I didn't see uh, that there was something laying across. And I opened the lid and I cracked my whole screen on my computer this morning. Yeah, that's what I said. And I about went full Clark Griswold this morning, but I did. And I'm like, I'm preaching this morning on, <clears throat> on, on having a good attitude, right? And, and responding well. So I, I've got to be, be a grown up. Um, and so, but that, right? I mean, we have planned. That was not in my plan. I did not want that to happen this morning. And, and with Christmas, a lot of us, I mean, we have the way we want things to turn out. And they don't always turn out that way. And the crazy thing is, when it comes to Christmas, isn't it crazy that we can take one of the most holy days and turn it into a celebration of ourselves? It's because we have that natural bent towards selfishness. Um, and I'll just be honest with you. I don't know about you. I've, always, I've already bought, bought, bought uh, Christmas presents for myself. Have y'all done that? I'm like, oh man, this is such a good deal. I'm just going to get this and it'll be my little Christmas present to myself. We can turn something so beautiful about Jesus into, oh, what can I buy? What can I get myself? And it's just part of the human nature. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. It's kind of a dark side of Christmas a little bit. But how do we respond when things don't turn out the way that we want? the way we expect? How do we keep from going uh, into a selfish response and instead respond in worship? And so the chapter this morning we're going to be in is Matthew chapter 2. It's a story we're all familiar with, but we're going to be focusing in on how people responded to the birth of Jesus, and particularly the wise men and King Herod. Um, and so maybe we'll, we'll approach it from a little bit different perspective this morning. Um, and one of the great things about this chapter, it's kind of interesting that there's three prophecies about the birth of Jesus that we see that are all fulfilled in this passage. Uh, one is that he would be born in Bethlehem. The other is that he, the, the Messiah would come out of Egypt. The other that he would be a Nazarene. Um, and so you've got three very distinct different places in geography uh, talking about the Messiah, and all three are fulfilled in this one person, Jesus. And I will just tell you over and over again throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament and New, what you see is that the fulfilled prophecy is just one of the most amazing ways that we can see, that we can know that Jesus truly is the Son of God, the Messiah. Uh, and, and you see how it just perfectly plays out. There's, I mean, this, it just, there's no way it could happen by accident. And so I love that about this passage. We'll pick it up in Matthew chapter two, verse one. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn King of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. 
King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And so this whole first passage here kind of brings me to my first point. Um, and and I'll, I'll, I'll have to explain it a little bit, so, so hang with me. But it's when we don't get what we want, our response shows our heart. When we don't get what we want, our response shows our heart. And now you say, well, where am I going with that? We, we, we have two different groups here I want to contrast for you. One is the wise men, um, the magi from the east, who found out about the birth of Jesus uh, due to the prophecy, the star. And then we have King Herod, who found out about it from the wise men. Uh, now, last, like last week, I talked about how sometimes we kind of add to the story, kind of fill in the, miss, the, the missing pieces a little bit. Uh, we do that with the wise men too, right? Uh, we think there, you know, it's church tradition has taught that there's three wise men. They even have names, uh, but that's not really in the Bible. We don't know how many wise men we ha- that were there. Uh, there's a far side cartoon that has the fourth wise man that was kicked out because he brought fruitcake. Uh, you just, you know, um, I, I don't know. You had the gold frankincense and myrrh that they brought. So they said there's three of them. Okay. We can go with that. Uh, but we, the, the, the other kind of thing we read into it is we think that, oh, they got there the night that Jesus was born where, well, uh, as we'll see later in the story, when King Herod retaliates and tries to kill all the babies to and under, and uh, there, we really there's a time period uh, that that they probably didn't come the night of the birth. In fact, it even says in verse 11 that they came to his home. Uh, and so by this time, they were probably out of the stable and into a home. So uh, just there's some details here that we kind of change around. But here's what we do know. We do know they were from the east, which was probably Persia, which is modern day, modern day Iran. Uh, the trip would have been about eight to 900 miles. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I know that the trips we've gone where we've driven like, uh, you know, 800, 900, 1,000 miles, wear you out. That's a long ways, right? And that's driving. Imagine walking or riding a camel or however, you know, they didn't have the airplane. They didn't have cars. I mean, this was tough traveling. And so these, it took an incredible commitment for them to make this journey. And so they were watching, they were waiting, they were looking for a sign, they were looking for this Jesus, and they weren't disappointed. They were willing to do anything they were to, to anything they could to come and see. Now, it's also interesting. I've, I've read that maybe they knew about this prophecy, they knew about this Messiah because of Daniel. Uh, when Daniel was uh, in captivity in Persia, uh, many people think he taught them and told them about the prophecies about the Messiah. So it's interesting. That may be a, a kind of a way that they knew about this before they actually saw the star. But whatever, however they found out, however they, uh, we see their response was one, they were hopeful, they were waiting, they were watching, and they were willing to do anything to come see this baby. Um, but we contrast that now with King Herod. He was not expecting it. 
as we can see, he didn't even find out about it to the people showed up saying, okay, where's this new king? And he's like, new king? What are you talking about? I'm the king. I mean, that's what he's wanting to say here. He's wanting to say, I'm the, I'm the one in, in, in power here. So, I mean, immediately this got his attention. And we read that he was deeply disturbed and he set out on a mission to find this baby. The wise men, they didn't realize that he had ulterior motives, but King Herod was furious. Why do you think that? Because he was the king. He had a plan. He wanted people to follow him. He wanted people to bow down to him. He wanted to be the one in power. This was the way that he had it planned out in his head. And now he could see this plan going off the rails and he got upset about it. His response was, I'm going to do anything I can to protect my power and control the people under my rule. It reminds me of what James writes about in the New Testament. Uh, about our, our human nature, our human tendency. And this is what James tells us. He says this, What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you'll make yourself an enemy of God. What we see here is this battle inside of us. That it's, it's to be selfish, right? To, to do anything we can to get ahead, to be jealous and insecure of people who have something that we want. And I'm just telling you, it's like the Christmas holiday, the Americanized version of it, it brings this out in us if we're not careful. If we're not careful, this, this, this idea of we'll scheme, we'll kill, I mean, I don't think we'll go to that extreme, at least I hope not. But you show people fighting over playstations and xboxes on black friday and i'm telling you it's crazy what it brings out in people it's crazy how people get upset when they don't get what they want when they feel threatened and that's exactly what we see with king herod we see this battle that takes place and what we see is how we respond really shows what's in our heart shows what we value shows what's important to us and matthew 15, there's a warning here to us. The the words you speak come from the heart. That is what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. I'm telling you, if we're not careful, this is what our heart looks like. This is what is inside of us. This is what we've got to, to constantly turn back, repent, focus on God, and fill our heart with the good things and not give in to these things. And we see with Herod, um, he, he, he made the wrong choice. Now, I'm telling you, we all have a choice on how we respond. This morning, I seriously, like I said, I was wanting to respond in a bad way. And I had to remind myself the way I respond shows what I really believe and what's important to me. But I had a choice to make. 
You have a choice on the way you respond. Now, you may say, well, Mike, this isn't really an issue for me. I'm not a selfish person. I don't get upset easily. I'm really, I, I just don't worry. Well, when someone else at work gets the promotion that you really deserve, you're doing the work and they get the credit, come back to me, all right? Tell me how that goes. Or what happens when your kid gets in trouble and gets blamed for something that they didn't do? Or, or what happens when you lose your job? Or what happens when you get that diagnosis that you had this all planned out and then things didn't turn out the way you had planned? What happens when that disappointment hits, when that rejection hits, when that uh, whatever it is happens to you? I'm telling you, this is where our response, it really shows what's in our heart. Life is full of so many situations that we don't have planned out. And so when things don't turn out the way we expect, our response, it really does show our heart. And what we see here, now the wise men, they were waiting, they were watching, but their response was to, let's worship. Let's worship. King Herod's response was, let's, let's control. Let, let's, his response was a selfish response. It's, I'm going to do anything I can to keep my power. And that brings me to my next point is our response really determines both blessings and consequences. The way we respond, it it really has an effect on our future. And, And even in small things that we don't realize, every little response we make, it has a long lasting influence on future events. Verse 7, we'll kind of keep going here, and we'll talk about Herod here a little bit. He called for a private meeting with the wise men. He learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go back to Bethlehem and search carefully for this child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So, so this, is a, this is just a flat-out scheme. He was like, okay, I'm going to use them to do the dirty work for me, and then they're going to come back, and I'm going to take care of this little problem, this situation. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down to worship him. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And it says, now we have an update about uh, Joseph and Mary too. It says, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, flee to Egypt with his child and his mother. And stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with a child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, that I called my son out of Egypt. So what we see here is our response. It really does show our heart. It shows what we believe, our values, our priorities, our convictions. And our response will either lead to good blessings or harmful consequences. We see this very clearly. The wise men got to experience an incredible blessing. Think about this. They were able to worship the king of the universe and bring gifts. Now, I don't know about you, but they were able to witness 
the event in history that changed all of history. They were able to witness the, the incarnation, God becoming flesh. They were able to witness something that most of us would only dream about, being able to actually witness God in the flesh right in front of us. I don't know how, how I would respond. I don't know. I, I think we would just be so awestruck and confused, and we, just, it, we, we would be overwhelmed. Yet the wise men got to experience that, and in that moment, they chose to worship by bringing gifts. Uh, they were in... And if you look in the early church, you, you, you learn that their gifts really had significance. Most people think that their gifts kind of uh, were foreshadowing the life of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. And so the gold signified his deity, his kingship, and honored him for that. Uh, the, the frankincense was a, a spice they used in worship as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an offering, a, a scent offering to God. And so this showed his priestly role. And then the, the myrrh was a burial spice. And so you ask, well, why is that? Well, that showed his prophetic uh, nature in coming to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament, that he would be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world that he was the once and for, for all final sacrifice for all of mankind. And, and so these gifts had significance to him. But I, I like what John Piper wrote about these gifts too. And I'll share with you this, what he wrote. He said, these gifts are intensifiers of desire for Christ himself in much the same way that fasting is. When you give a gift to Christ like this, it's a way of saying the joy that I pursue, it's not the hope of getting rich with things from you. No, I have not, I've, I have not come to you for the things or for your things, but I've come to you for yourself. And this desire I now intensify and demonstrate by giving up things in the hope of enjoying you more. By giving to you what you do not need and what I might enjoy, I'm saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure and not these things. And, and so in essence, what, what, he, what we're saying here is that by giving him these gifts, they're so, showing Jesus, I'm not coming here to get things from you. And I think so many of us have a view of God that's transactional like that. I will worship you, God, if you give me what I want. That's kind of a selfish attitude, isn't it? That, that's kind of an attitude. It's like, I'll follow you, God, if you answer my prayer or if things turn out the way that I have planned. And what these wise men demonstrated, I'm giving you something that is of great earthly value that I could use for my enjoyment or I could take the money from this and use for myself. But instead, I'm giving it to you because you don't need it but I want to demonstrate, I want to show that I'm not coming to you to get stuff from you. And I think that's, the, that's, that's one of the great things about Christmas is that we can use it as a season of giving instead of a season of receiving so that we could show that it's not about what we get. It's not about what we need, but it's a way to say, I just want Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. I just want his presence. I want his power. I want his guidance. I want his wisdom. It's a big difference. The different 
way of responding. But that's what the wise men were doing. They were showing this. Now, Herod, on the other hand, he had a choice as well. And and his choice, instead of leading to a great blessing, it led to some pretty serious consequences. We'll read. If you study him, he's mentioned in history. You'll find the story is Herod the Great. Uh, Some some, um, historical writers outside of the Bible talk about him, guys like Josephus. Uh, He was a brutal, paranoid, unpredictable ruler. He executed some of his wives. He executed some of his own children. Um, According, you know, we'll see here in a minute as we keep reading how he ordered this massacre of the innocents, as it's known in history, as he tried to wipe out all these children around the same age as as Jesus. Um, But we also read how his life turns out. Um, He had, uh, you read like how he died. He had painful intestinal problems, convulsions in every limb, intense itching, breathlessness, and other problems that I really can't mention in church. Um, he had excruciating pain, and at the, 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 that point at the end of his life, he tried to kill himself by stabbing himself because he was in so much pain, and he just was just tortured. This, this guy, his life did not end up in a good way. He did not leave a lasting legacy. What did he leave? He, he, he left, uh, uh, you know, it's been called Herod's evil. And that was what he, he was known for. And um, I, I read this quote this week and it made me think it's the way we respond when we lose power determines what God will give us next. The way we respond when we lose power determines what God will give us next. And, and for Herod, he was losing power. He was losing influence. He was threatened and again, his response led to either a blessing or consequences, a curse. And we see the curse kind of play out in his life. And so, again, there's just, if we had more time, we could go in the Old Testament and look. There's some parallels here with the story of King Saul and King David. If you know that story in First Samuel, you can read about it. David was anointed king. Uh, at a young age, and yet King Saul was still king. And, and so David's like, okay, I'm, I'm the, the, the next in line. And how did King Saul respond? He responded by trying to kill David. David had to flee. He had to hide. Uh, they're so uh, David had to be thinking, okay, God, what have you gotten me into? This is not going. I thought I was supposed to be the king. And, and we see his plan. Um, you see, David even had a chance to kill King Saul. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 23, and, and he didn't do it. He let Saul live. And, and what David was showing, I'm just going to trust God's plan, even though it doesn't make sense. Even though it's not working out according to my plan, I'm just going to have to trust God, let things play out, and, and trust. And, and King Saul, instead of trusting God's plan, he tried to hold on to power. And so what King Saul did is very similar to what King Herod did. Instead of leaving a legacy of blessing for future generations, what we see is they did everything they could to hold on to power, and they destroyed their legacy in the process. Um, And so that kind of leads me to, to my final point this morning is insecurity. What does it lead to? Because really, that's at the heart of King Herod's response and and King Saul's response. It was insecurity. It leads to selfishness, pride, and greed. 
but faith leads to humility. When we trust God, it leads to a a humble dependence upon God and his plan and and just trusting him. And and, and so I just share, we'll keep going in the story, verse 16, and, and you'll see this kind of play out. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the first star's appearance. Herod's Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, that a cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. And when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up, returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets have said. He would be called a Nazarene. So it's interesting. We see all these prophecies be fulfilled, um, both good and bad. We see Herod's response of insecurity. It leads to selfishness, pride, greed, murder. Now, the, this in history, you'll read this is known as the massacre of the innocents. Uh, all the children, two years old and, and younger, all the, all the boys were killed. And we don't know how many this was. It kind of depends on how big the area was. I've seen some say it could have been a thousand. I've seen some say it was probably about 20 to 40. It doesn't matter if it was just one. It was evil, right? It's just an evil, evil, evil response. Uh, just saying, I, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to do anything it takes to hold on to my power, including murdering innocent little babies. Uh, this is awful. Um, not part of the Christmas story we like to, to, to retell. Um, but we see here, um, King Herod, he missed an opportunity to, to humble himself, uh, to trust God's plan. He missed an opportunity to experience the, the, the Messiah. And instead, he allowed his pride to control his actions. It's um, interesting in leadership. Uh, the Bible just talks a lot about humility. When we see in Jesus almost a perfect example of, of humble leadership and strong leadership, but we see humility. Um, it's something we know in the church that you expect a pastor, you expect your leaders to be servant leaders, not to be people who put themselves on a pedestal and, and want to be worshiped, but instead uh, will humble themselves. I mean, that's why Jesus said, I come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Uh, it's interesting, though, even in the business world that teaches you got to do whatever it, you can to get ahead, that as they've done more studies and and researched it, what they found is that humility is really kind of the uh, is really kind of the missing factor for for many companies. Uh, there's a business author, um, Jim Collins, who wrote a book, Good to Great. Um, it's kind of kind of become like a classic business hit in the last uh, decade and a half or so when it since it's come out. And he he studied these Fortune 500 companies. Um, these great companies, and he looked at companies that were just exceptional. 
and he looked at their leadership to see if he could find some common characteristics. Uh, and he wrote a book about it called it Level 5 Leadership, all this stuff. But this is what he, he said about them. He said, the good to great leaders never wanted to become larger than life heroes. They never aspired to be put on a pedestal or become unreachable icons. They were ordinary people. They were all about humility and modesty. Now, these are your, your, your companies that are making incredible profit, getting things done. And what he found was what we know as believers is the right way to do things, a right way to respond. Instead of trying to control, uh, instead of being prideful and selfish and greedy and doing everything we can to stay on top, it's all about putting others' needs above your own. The way of Jesus. And, and what we see in this story with King Herod, he, that's not the way he chose. He chose the way of pride and, and, and instead of the, the way of faith. The way of faith leads to humility. And, and so this Christmas, I just have to tell you, don't fall into the trap of thinking it's all about you. In fact, I want you to turn to the person sitting beside you and tell them Christmas is not about you. Okay, now I want you to turn back to him and say this, Christmas is not about me either. <laughs> Let's all say Christmas is about Jesus. <laughs> That's what we have to remember. It's not about us. It's not about what we get. It's not about what we experience even. It's not about the perfect meal or the perfect Christmas tree, speaking of which we knocked ours over this week. Another story about about when Clark Griswold on. I, I'm just telling you, there's so many, there's just so many things here we've got to remember. Uh, but Christmas is, it's all about Jesus. And in fact, and Paul said it this way in Colossians. He said, since, jo since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, this is how we respond. We clothe ourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We clothe ourselves. It's a choice we make. We put it on each and every day. This is how we're going to respond. Now, I love, uh, I found this quote from C.S. Lewis, and I, I want to share it with you. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. This is from the book, Mere Christianity, one of my favorite books. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Are we willing to give away what really doesn't matter? Are we willing to, to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others? Are we willing to, to make Christmas a time of reflecting on why Jesus came to save us from our sins? In Romans 12, it says this. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given to us. This is humility. 
This is what humility looks like in the life of a believer. And where do we learn this from? It's from Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, we have this picture of Jesus that I wanted to share with you. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress. uh, In in Philippians 2 verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be, Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. I love how some translations say he emptied himself. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. It's a Christmas story right here. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He died a criminal's death on the cross, and and therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what Christmas is about. Not about us. Jesus gave us the example. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He gave up his divine privileges so that we could be made right with God, so that we could be saved, so that we could be forgiven of our sin and have a relationship with the God who created us. Faith leads to humility. And today, I just want to challenge us a little bit. Will we be people known for our humility? People known for for how we reach and serve others? Or will will we be people known for how much we gather and accumulate and hold on to and, 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 and insecurity and pride and selfishness and greed? Now, I'm telling you, Christmas will take you one of, it'll take you both places, depending on what you focus on. Christmas, it's amazing, again, how it brings out the worst in some people and but it can also bring out the best. And I just want to challenge you this Christmas season. Let's not miss Christmas. Let's keep our focus on Jesus. Let's keep our focus on him. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, as we learn really from the mistakes of others, help us to respond to the unanticipated situations in life. Help us respond with humility, with grace with love. Help us to be people who reflect Jesus and how we love and live our lives. Heavenly Father, I pray for for this church. I pray for this community. I pray that we would be people just who look, who live, who, who act and think like Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would give us opportunities to share the love of Christ this holiday season. I pray you would just remind us that it's not about us. I pray that we would be able to to pass this down, down to our children and their children to help them realize it's not about the commercialized gift giving sales. And it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And I pray for those watching, for those listening, for those Uh, here or those online, that they would be able to to realize how much Jesus loves them, to realize why Jesus really came in the first place, to live the life that we couldn't, 
to pay the, the penalty that we could never pay, to be the sacrifice that would bring us back to God. For all those who put their faith, their trust in Jesus, we can be made right with God. We can be justified before him. Our sins can be forgiven. We can be, uh, we can be reunited with the God who created us forever and for all eternity and live with him. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the, the love of Jesus that was displayed when he came to earth on our behalf and when he went to the cross on our behalf. And we celebrate that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we close today, each and every Sunday, this is our chance to respond. Uh, you can go to the cross and leave your prayer request there. You can take out your communication card or go online and fill one out. But let's just worship today. Uh, let's worship the King who has come to save us. Let's stand together as we close.